This is a Rooster Teeth production. November 28, 2016. Lamia Flight 2933, a chartered Avro RJ85 jet with 77 people on board, is flying a Brazilian soccer team from Santa Cruz, Bolivia to the final match of the 2016 Copa Sudamerica tournament in Colombia. Among the passengers are 22 players of the Chapecones Football Club, 23 staff members, 21 journalists, two guests, and four crew members. When nearing their destination airport, the crew is instructed to enter a holding pattern to wait for three other aircraft to land before them. Three minutes later, the crew asks for priority landing because of unspecified problems with fuel. Air traffic control tells them to expect clearance in approximately seven minutes. Three minutes after that, while on their second lap in the holding pattern, the crew declares a fuel emergency and requests immediate descent clearance and vectors to the runway. The engines then flame out, and as the aircraft descends to the airport, air traffic control can no longer find the plane on radar. What happened to Lamia Flight 2933? How did a low fuel situation get out of hand so quickly? Find out on this episode of Black Box Down. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Black Box Down. It's Gus and Chris. Hello, Chris. I guess we're here doing another episode. Just as a reminder, if you listen to the last episode, this episode might sound a little different again than uh, our, our regular ones. Hopefully, it's still good. We have a, a slightly improvised uh, recording set, set up uh, right now, but should still be good. Yeah. Just letting you know, in case anything sounds weird. As always, give us a follow on social media, at Black Box Down Pod on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can see all kinds of pictures, videos, things to help you envision what's going on with some of these, uh, some of these episodes, some of these things that we talk about. We're also on YouTube. We are on YouTube, aren't we? I always forget. If if you're the kind of person who likes to consume podcasts on YouTube, you can do that. And you can also find some of our, uh, we have additional content there, like some uh, animated explanations of, of different things and incidents and uh, a lot of cool stuff. So Yeah. So this accident, Lamia Flight 2933, was captained by 36-year-old uh, Miguel Quiroga, who had been a former Bolivian Air Force pilot with 6,692 flight hours. Uh, including 3,417 hours on this plane, the Avro RJ-85. The first officer was 47-year-old Fernando Goitia, who had also been a former Air Force pilot, received his type rating on this uh, kind of plane five months before the accident. He had 6,923 flight hours. 1,474 of them were on the Avro RJ-85. Additionally, there was a third junior pilot in the cockpit, uh, C.C. Arias, who was observing the flight for training purposes. I don't know if we ever talked about an incident with the Avro RJ-85. It's a plane that was manufactured in the United Kingdom by British Aerospace. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use some of the terminology we've learned throughout this podcast, Chris. Okay, I'm it, ready. <laughs> it's a high-wing cantilever monoplane with a T-tail. And it's powered by four geared turbofan engines mounted on pylons underneath the wing. Uh, high wing. So the, the wings, so if you were to look out the window the wings would not block your view. They'd like above the fuselage? At the top of the fuselage, okay. yeah. The wings kind of almost angled down a little bit from the fuselage down out to the tip. And it's got a T-tail. So if you think about the tail of a plane, lots of times the horizontal stabilizer is like kind of almost like part of the fuselage. In a T-tail, the horizontal stabilizer is at the top of the rudder, at the top of the tail, like capital letter T. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, we've talked about some planes that have this. I think like a, a McDonnell Douglas MD-80 uh, is the one that quickly comes to mind as far as T-tails. Okay. Capital T. Capital T. 
Like I think normally it would be like a cross, yeah, maybe or a lowercase t, that, yeah, because uh, the horizontal stabilizers typically. Well, when you think of a plane, most likely you think of it being uh, like in, part of the fuselage, but mm-hmm. in the detail, it's up at the top, and it had uh, four engines that are mounted. You know, obviously two under each wing. Aircraft operates very quietly and was marketed under the name Whisper Jet because it was so quiet. Mm. And uh, just because we were talking about fuel already in the intro, the fuel tanks have a capacity of. 9,362 kilograms, which is, um, a, in, in pounds, is about uh, 20,639 pounds. So just over 20,000 pounds. Seems like a lot of fuel, but well, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's quite a bit. So the first question, before we even dive into this, do you think it's weird that a Brazilian soccer team is flying to a game in Colombia from Bolivia? Well, now that you mention it, sure, but... It seems, I, it seems I, like a roundabout way. You think they would fly straight from Brazil to Colombia? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I assume there's some sort of uh, sports uh, reason for that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, that, valid, valid. And, and I know nothing of sports. So. Well, they were going to the championship game of this uh, tournament. Very, uh-huh. very well known, very well respected tournament. Uh, when uh, and this was the flight that was taking them there, the the flight was going to be in uh, in Colombia. It was it was going to be in uh, in Medellin, Colombia. So that's where they were flying to from uh, Santa Cruz, Bolivia. Um, and that I, it was supposed to it was it was coming up. So it's, uh, everyone's very excited on the plane. You know, mm-hmm. It's a it's a charter plane for that. So the initial request by if you hear me say Chapecoense, that's the football club. That's the, the that's the soccer team. Okay. So the initial request by Chapecoense to charter the flight was from Sao Paulo, Brazil, uh-huh. to Medellin, Colombia, but it was refused by the National Civil Aviation Agency of Brazil because of the limited scope of the freedom of air agreements between the two countries. Oh. Right. They uh, got beef. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not so much that they have beef. They don't have an agreement, uh-huh. we, we could say. So under the International Civil Aviation Organization rules, it would have required the use of a Brazilian or a Colombian airline for such a service since they're flying from Brazil to Colombia. Oh. So that's why... La Mia was a Bolivian charter airline, and they were headquartered in Santa Cruz. We'll get into the specifics of how it happened, but that's why they have to fly this flight from Bolivia to Colombia. I don't know why they didn't just, like, pick a different flight or, yeah. I don't know. I wish I could answer that. So the football club arranged a flight with Boliviana de Aviación from Sao Paulo to Santa Cruz, Bolivia, in order to keep their flight with La Mia from Bolivia to uh-huh. Medellin, Colombia. And the obvious question I have here, like after getting to this point in uh-huh. the story is, shouldn't Lemia have known better about this? Shouldn't they have known, hey, we can't, we're not allowed to fly from Brazil to Colombia like this. So why even bother putting the request through? So they, they made the request and then they got denied the request. And then... So the soccer team flew from Brazil to Bolivia mm-hmm. to get on the charter plane in Bolivia to then fly to Colombia. Yeah. Yeah, it's puzzling. I don't know. I have no idea. Maybe they just had a, a private, you know, jet or something or a pre-existing relationship. Maybe they had a coupon that was about to expire. <laughs> One free <laughs> private flight. Yeah. Uh, but like, and then, so they like went to their normal guy and, and like, yo, and then they're like, oh, we can't do that. Right. They tried and like, eh, maybe they weren't paying attention. Maybe we could have snuck it through, but uh, uh, they caught us. I, I don't know. It's, it's weird. The, the, the whole setup here to begin with is weird. So the flight crew anticipated a fuel consumption of about 8,858 kilograms or 19,528 pounds for their planned route of 1,611 nautical miles. 
uh, which included 200 kilograms or 441 pounds for taxi. And that's from the... Wait. Santa Cruz, Bolivia to Medellin, Colombia. So this is the Brazilian team's already in uh, Bolivia. Correct. This okay. Correct. This, yeah, we're just going to deal with the Bolivia to Colombia okay. leg. So after fueling in Santa Cruz, Bolivia, the flight had 9,073 kilograms or 20,002 pounds of fuel on board. We're already starting to run a little, a little close here, aren't we, Chris? Wait. The crew anticipates they're going to need 19,528 pounds of fuel, and they have 20,002 pounds of fuel on board. Oh. But those, those, numbers, those numbers are really close to each other. But isn't the max that it can do? Didn't you say it was 20,000 pounds of fuel is about the max? Yeah, the max is about 9,362 kilograms, and they anticipated they were going to need 8,858 kilograms. And they fueled up with 9,073 kilograms. So almost fuel, almost full of fuel, but not quite full. Mm. And even then, it's close. That's, that's cutting it real close. Yeah. Why wouldn't they just fill it up all the way? They, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll get, we're we're going to get into that. So the distance between Santa Cruz, Bolivia and Medellin, Colombia airports is about 1,598 nautical miles. And the original f- flight plan included a fuel stop at Cobija, which is 514 nautical miles from their origin airport. And then they would fly the remaining 1,101 miles to Medellin for a total of 1,615 miles. Okay, so that's why they didn't fill right. up all the way, because they're, they're going to stop to get fuel. Right, they're going to stop on the way, get some, get some gas. All right. However, mm-hmm. there was a delay before taking off, uh, because one of the players in the plane wanted... <laughs> Wanted a video game retrieved from the plane's cargo hold. Oh, my God. So uh, they had to delay their takeoff because then the crew had to go through the, the cargo hold to find that player's bag and then to pull out a video game for them and then take it up to the cabin. So because of this delay, they had to cancel their fuel stop because the airport that they were going to stop at to refuel was going to be closed by then. Oh, my God. What game was it? I want to know what game it was. <laughs> I, d- I don't and know, what? Chris. The report does not say. It might have It might have been a Switch game. Maybe he, maybe he left his Switch in the bag by accident. There's something like that, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, unless they had like a TV. I don't know. Either way. Let's see. I can't believe they did that. They held up the whole thing just for... Oh, wait. I forgot my game. It's a charter flight. It's one of the players, and they're going to the championship game. Yeah, he must be one of the star players. Could have been. So now they, have, they need this new flight plan, right? Because uh-huh. they're not going to stop fuel anymore. The new flight plan was rejected by an officer of Bolivia's uh, AASANA. It's the, okay, I'm going to do my best here, Chris. Administración de Aeropuertos y Servicios Auxiliares a la Navegación Area. It's the Administration of Airports and Auxiliary Services for Air Navigation. So okay. kind of like they're, they're controlling governing body. Yeah. And it was rejected because... They rejected it several times, actually, because the aircraft's range was almost the same as the flight distance. Yeah. So, like, they're trying to file this flight plan, and the AASANA is like, no, we, we're not going to approve this. this. The flight you're, you're trying to file for is almost the maximum range of this plane. Then eventually, another officer steps in uh, and approves the flight plan. Oh, why do you pu- approve it? It's like, it's a, it's a famous soccer team. We'll get into that. Oh. At around 9.16 p.m. And get that kid his video game. <laughs> right. At about 9.16 p.m., about 180 nautical miles from their destination, the aircraft displayed a low fuel warning. So at this point, 
They're about 77 miles from Bogota, Mm -hmm. but the crew took no steps to divert there, nor did they tell air traffic control about the situation. So the low fuel light comes on 180 miles away from where they're going. They don't tell anyone, and they're 77 miles from another major airport. When the low fuel thing comes on, like how low is that? I mean, I don't... Do they know? Yes, they do, because the manufacturer gives all of these details. Once the low fuel light comes on, I believe, uh, if I'm, I'm going off memory here, I know I have it written down in here somewhere, uh-huh. but uh, I believe uh, that the manufacturer says that they can fly for another 23 minutes at that point. They guarantee, well, not guarantee, they say you have about another 23 minutes. 23 minutes of flight. Yeah. A minimum, uh, about 23 minutes of continued operation at cruise power or a descent from a high level, an approach, a go around, and a further approach to land. So not a, not a lot. Mm-mm. So they're 180 miles away, and they have about 23 minutes to make it there. And how fast are they going? I don't know their, their speed. But that's still... I mean, I, I've played that game in a car, but... When your run, car runs out of gas, you don't fall yeah, out of the sky. Yeah, yeah. you just got to walk or get a, a ride to get some gas. Right. So the flight continued on its course and began its descent towards Medellin at 9.30 p.m. Uh, After another aircraft with a suspected fuel leak diverted to Medellin, air traffic control gave them priority and instructed La Mia Flight 2933 to enter a racetrack-shaped holding pattern at the Rio Negro VHF Omnidirectional Range uh, radio navigation beacon. Uh, And then they had to wait for three other aircraft to land, and then it would be their turn. So there was another plane that had a suspected fuel leak, so Mm -hmm. they were given priority to land in Medellin. This flight we're talking about, La Mia 2933, is told... Go out and hold. After them, there's three other planes that need to land in front of you, and then you can come in and land. So this is typical. Yeah, but they didn't communicate that they were like, hey, we're running out of fuel. No, they have not told anyone this so far. So while waiting for the other aircraft to land during the last 15 minutes of its flight, the RJ-85 completed two laps of the holding pattern, which added another 54 nautical miles to its flight path. At 9.53 p.m. Wait, sorry, wait. When, 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 when did the low fuel, what time the low fuel come on? At around 9.16. 9.16, okay. And so they began their descent at 9.30. That's the 14 minutes later. Mm-hmm. And they're guaranteed 23 minutes. Well, not guaranteed. They can expect 23 minutes. So then at 9.53, with the aircraft nearing the end of its second lap in the holding pattern. Oh, wait, wait, 53? Yeah. So even more time has what? passed. That, wait, that's past the recommended amount that they would have, right? Right. So now there are 30, 37 minutes have elapsed since their low fuel warning came on. And the manufacturer is probably going to err on the side of caution until sure. you have less. But, I mean, that's like a third of what their entire amount was going to be, right? What do you mean? In minutes-wise, because it was like... So, yeah, it's 37 minutes have passed, and they, were, they could have expected about 23 minutes. So, yeah. they're, uh, I mean, you can say they're about 50% over. 50% over, yeah. So, uh, at this point, now we're talking about 9.53, they were getting towards the end of their second lap in the pattern. Engines number three and four flamed out due to fuel exhaustion. And that's the two engines on the right wing. Mm. Engines one and two continued to operate, but they also flamed out two minutes later. What time is that? Uh, that would be 9.53 and 9.55. My God. So, and, and they, they didn't say anything to anyone at any point. At this point, yeah. This, <laughs> this is when... This is when I was like, hey, we have a, a fuel thing. Yeah. That first they say they have unspecified problems with fuel. And unspecified prop. The, it's, it's pretty clear what the problem yeah. is. So shortly before 10 p.m., 
The pilot reported uh, electrical failure and fuel exhaustion while flying in Colombian airspace um, uh, between the municipalities of La Ceja and La Union. An air traffic controller radioed that the aircraft was 0.1 nautical miles from the Rio Negro VOR, but its altitude data was no longer being received. The crew replied that the aircraft was an altitude of 9,000 feet. Okay. However, the procedure for an aircraft coming in to land at this airport says that it must be at least at an altitude of 10,000 feet while passing over that Rio Negro VOR. Oh, why? Because mountain? Mountain. Mountain. Uh, air traffic control radar stopped detecting the aircraft at 9.55 p.m. local time as it descended among the mountains south oh, of the airport. No. Uh, at 9.59, the aircraft hit the crest of a ridge on a mountain known as Cerro Gordo at an altitude of 2,600 meters, which is 8,500 feet, oh while God. flying in a northwesterly direction. With the wreckage of the rear of the aircraft on the southern side of the crest and the other wreckage coming to rest on the northern side of the crest adjacent to the Rio Negro VOR transmitter facility. So they, they like, scrape the top of the mountain. Ba- basically, half the plane, the back half of the plane ends up on one side and the front wow. half ends up on the other. Um, so where they, where the aircraft crashed, you know, it was near this uh, VOR, it's in line with the runway 01 at the airport, about 9.7 nautical miles from the southern end. So they were less than 10 miles away. It- and they would have been fine if they'd made it over that mountain, right? Because even without fuel, they could have kind of glided down, right? Yeah, conceivably. Conceivably, yes. So they were probably about, I don't know, 30 feet? It's, it's hard to say. I, yeah, but a, like, a short amount, not a great amount of distance. Like they, they probably... I mean, I don't know another, how big that mountain Maybe there was another feet. thing in the mountain, but... There might also have been trees. Yeah, but like it, they, were, they were... Oh, my God. Not... not this is just, this is crazy. Okay, go, continue. And then uh, as a result of the crash, 71 of the 77 people on board were killed in the crash. So six people did, uh, did survive. Heavy fog in the area initially prevented helicopters from the Colombian Air Force from reaching the site, and first aid workers arrived two hours later uh, to find 100 meters in diameter of debris. And early in the next morning, six people were found alive in the wreckage. On the afternoon of the 29th of November, Columbia's Special Administrative Unit of Civil Aeronautics, uh, UAEAC, reported that both the flight recorders had been recovered undamaged. So it seems pretty cut and dry. Yeah. Plane going further than it should have, ended up running out of fuel. Well, they had, they had to hold, ended up running out of fuel and crashed into a mountain. And I know this sounds... Really scary. Yeah. Because <laughs> you start to wonder, like, oh, what if a plane I'm on runs out of fuel? I, I, I feel like I, I, I should mention, this is illegal. You cannot do this. You need to have enough fuel, not only to get to your destination, but also to divert, to hold, to try to land, to miss, circle, and then come back in to land again. And yeah. then have 45 minutes or 30 uh, of fuel on top of that. And that's so, why it kept getting denied, denied, denied. Right. Normally, you need to have much more fuel. They were trying to put in just the amount they needed to get there uh, and nothing else. Because remember, we've talked about this before, where if you carry more fuel, you burn fuel. You burn fuel to carry fuel. Yeah. So, but there is a minimum you need to carry, and this is, this is way below the minimum. You cannot do this for this reason. What if something happens? What if you have to hold? What if you need to divert? What if the airport was closed and they needed to go to another airport? Yeah. This, you're setting yourself up for failure doing this. Yeah. Okay, so this plane, uh-huh. the Avro uh, RJ-85, was operated by Lamia Airlines, and it was hired by the Brazilian soccer team to perform 
two non-scheduled passenger transport charter flights. The first flight was scheduled for November 28th at 2 p.m., departing from Sao Paulo, Brazil, to the city of Medellin, Colombia. And the second flight should have taken place on December 2nd uh, in the opposite direction, from uh, Medellin, Colombia, to the city of Chapeco, Brazil. This plane was stationed in Bolivia, and on November 27th, the company presented two requests to the Brazilian Aeronautical Authority uh, to carry out the scheduled flights. But these requests were denied, because, like we talked about, mm-hmm. they did not comply with Brazilian international regulations, which require the charter flight can only be normally conducted by an operator belonging to the country of origin or the country of destination. So on November 28th, which is the next day, the company made a new flight request to the ANAC authority, which was again rejected for the same reasons previously mentioned. Thus, the operator who belonged to the Bolivian state could not obtain the necessary permission to carry out the flight as planned. So now that they're not given permission to do this flight, Arrangements were made for the passengers to travel on a regular passenger flight from uh, Brazil to Santa Cruz, Bolivia. And afterwards, they would get on the Lamia flight going on mm-hmm. to Medellin, kind of giving a little more background to yeah. what we talked about a little earlier. Uh, the passengers boarded the flight uh, in Brazil, which had an estimated departure time of 5.45 p.m. And the flight took off at 6.21 p.m. At 8.45 p.m., uh, the flight arrived in Santa Cruz, Bolivia. And according to the uh, factual information, it's determined there was poor flight planning, low situational awareness in its execution, and wrong decision-making, all of them influenced by the desire to fulfill a transportation contract. So the, the reason I had been bringing this up and the reason we're still talking about this now yeah. is that this is just to kind of underscore and highlight the incompetence is the inco- the, <laughs> or the negligence yeah. that's going on at this airline before the plane even takes off, just in the planning phase. And not knowing what they're doing and trying to get this, what amounts to an illegal flight plan pushed through. Two of them. Right. Two, one through, uh, like, I guess, country laws and the other one through, like, flight laws. <laughs> or international. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's and, mind-boggling. And, and this, is this, this is like a private company? Yeah. It's, it's like, like a, they, a private, private charter yeah, company. Yeah, exactly. The crew did not comply with the provisions of the company's general operations manual in relation to determination of the minimum amount of fuel required to carry out international flights. Not only did the crew miss a component of the calculation, in fact, the planning of the operation did not take into account several components of the minimum fuel calculation required. Namely, the fuel required for an eventual diversion to an alternate airport, the reserve fuel, and the contingency fuel. This is all what we talked about a little while ago. This is all the extra fuel you need to have budgeted in in order to safely make flights. The flight started in illegitimate conditions with regard to the amount of fuel on board. So from the planning phase, things were messed up. From the second they get people on that plane and take off, it's an illegal flight. This is, you are not allowed to fly like this. And I like that you refer, it's illegal to do this. Because yeah. like, it really emphasizes the point of like, it's not like just bad policy. You're like, eh, they shouldn't have done that. But no, no. it's against the law. Right. These, these are the rules written in law. In order to prevent things like this. Yeah. It's evident within the investigation that there was an indication of low fuel level at approximately 2.15.47 hours. That's uh, GMT. So 9.16 is what I had written. Oh, yeah, yeah. About, yeah. Uh, when the aircraft was flying at a cruising altitude of 30,000 feet, when it was approximately 18 minutes before reaching the starting point for descent. So when that warning came on, from their planning, they knew they were about 18 minutes before they were going to start their descent. So, and if they, if they knew they had 23 minutes of cruise, 
They're really, then, really pushing it. Yeah. When they said they had to divert, they should have been like, we can't, right? What they should have done, when that low-level light came on, initially uh -huh. at this point that we're talking about right now. Oh, they should have diverted to the other airport. They should have just diverted to Bogota at that yeah. point. Despite the alarm warning, the crew did not perform any action nor carried any communication procedure or made any request to ATC to let her know about their situation in order to be able to handle it according to operational situation being faced. So if they had al alerted air traffic control, you know, that they yeah. were uh, facing the situation, air traffic control would have helped divert them or could have done more to assist them or given them priority to land yeah. if they declare a fuel emergency. And it's like, okay, then everyone else needs to get out of the way. This plane needs to come straight in. But they never told anyone. They, because they didn't want to, I guess, caught, get in trouble for their illegal flight. I think you're onto something, Chris. I, th I think you're really yeah. onto something. Sometimes when I get caught up in the business of work, errands, and chores around the house, I can feel it. it's hard to get a sense of adventure uh, in my day-to-day -day life. Going for a walk or a run or just being outside, you know, it's a nice escape, but I've been especially loving exploring uh, the city on my electric e-bike. I love this bike. I, like anyone I talk to, it's like it comes up immediately. My neighbors are, are asking me like, hey, we see you on a bike all the time. I pull over and I'm like, let me tell you about electric e-bikes. And they're like, oh my God, I can't believe he's talking about electric e-bikes again. <laughs> because I ride it everywhere, like to stores nearby, to restaurants, like any, any excuse to get on my electric e-bike and uh, bike somewhere. I love it. I feel like I'm really getting to know the area around where I live, the streets, you know, what's nearby, you know, because normally I feel like I'm just trying to get point A to point B as quickly as I can. But with my electric e-bike, I'm really enjoying the ride itself. Electric e-bikes cost way less than the competition with quality, feature-filled models, financed as low as $133 per month. They also include powerful removable battery, bright LCD display, seven-speed gearing, plus five levels of pedal assist to power your ride. Plus, you can lower your gas costs and reduce your carbon footprint. You can even make it your own by customizing and adjusting your e-bike to fit your lifestyle. Every electric e-bike is foldable and ships for free, fully assembled. You don't have to take my word for it. There are over 250,000 dedicated riders on the road so far. So right now, you get out there, find adventure with electric e-bikes. Visit electricebikes.com to learn more. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C ebikes.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Isn't the point of traveling to get away from it all? To feel the best you've ever felt? Then maybe you should check out Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. When your trip comes to an end, you won't need another vacation because you just had the vacation. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. The emergency checklist and abnormal procedures uh, of the aircraft as a regular practice describe the procedures the pilots must perform when alarms such as low fuel level indication are activated. Uh, according to the checklist, after performing the procedures established, the left-right feed low-level warning alarm continues. The manual states that landing is required as soon as possible. So basically, it's just saying there's a checklist for if the low fuel light comes on, you run it, and if the low fuel light is still on, you land. So it's making sure, the checklist being like making sure there's not a false alarm or there's nothing else, but like if 
You run the check. Yeah. That means you're actually out of fuel. Go land. Exactly. You nailed it, Chris. 100%. <laughs> um, in effect, the procedure describes that once the system warns the crew of the indication of a low fuel level, uh, as an immediate measure, it must land as soon as possible since the fuel remaining in each feed tank and the corresponding fuel line can feed the engine to a minimum of 23 minutes continued operation at cruise power or a descent from high level, an approach, a go around, and a further approach to landing. So that's why it's kind of hard to say exactly how much fuel mm-hmm. they had left because if they had 23 minutes of cruise, they cruised for another 18 before beginning their descent. Mm-hmm. You know, when you start your descent, you pull your power back, so you're consuming less fuel. Yeah. So that's why they still had a little bit of fuel left and were able to circle for a little while. Um, they also, you know, if they had immediately began a descent, they could have done an approach, a go around, and another approach to land at an airport. Mm-hmm. As evidently shown within the investigation, uh, the crew of the flight had considered uh, another airport. It was uh, El Dorado Airport, the one in Bogota. Uh-huh. Uh, as an alternative aerodrome. However, the criteria that the crew used to make the decision to continue the flight to Medellin could not be evidenced, even knowing Bogota was only 77 miles away. But the problem is that there was no cockpit voice recorder that was active at that time. I didn't even get into this. So in 2016, for some mysterious reason, the cockpit voice recorder stopped recording about 100 minutes before the crash. They turned it off. The report is unable to say that for certain. That is speculated. It's possible yeah. there's a malfunction. It's possible it stopped working on its own. It's also possible that they disabled it in the cockpit, knowing that things were about to start going bad and they didn't want a, a record of it. Wow. Is it well known, I guess, among pilots how to turn off the voice recorder? I don't know how they would have done it. It's possible they could have pulled a breaker for it. I remember we talked in, about in. FedEx 705, the attempted hijacking, uh-huh, that uh-huh. the guy who wanted to hijack that plane uh, popped the breaker for the cockpit voice recorder because he didn't want a record of it. Mm. Uh, but the pilots noticed it and they popped it back in. So mm. in some planes, it must be possible to do that. Maybe that's how, maybe that's what, if they interfered, maybe that's what they did. There's no definitive evidence of that, but that is a working theory. Yeah, I'd put that theory to work. <laughs> what? I mean, I... I <laughs> <laughs> like, I think it's a good working theory. Okay. so I'd hire that them to do the job. That, okay. So when continuing the flight with a condition of low level of fuel indication, uh, a congested airspace in the approach uh, g- gave an obvious connotation of delay in this approach phase, which the crew had not foreseen. So, you know, they continued, and then this delay and this hold pops up before they were able to land in Medellin, and they didn't anticipate that. They thought... They'd be able to go straight in, and maybe they would make it. On several occasions, the aircraft was instructed by ATC to proceed to a holding pattern on the Rio Negro VOR uh, with the information collected by the crew without any observation or objection, despite the fact, as explained, the aircraft was flying in a low fuel condition. So air traffic control tells them to go hold, and they go and do it. They don't tell Golly. that we're low on fuel. They, they go out and, uh, and enter this hold. I can't believe they did that. That's even, it's like negligence after negligence. It's just over and over. It's digging. Yep. It's, they're, they're making it worse and worse every step of the way. And we, I think we've talked about other incidents in the past where people die. Accidents happen because the pilots do something they're not supposed to. And then they're not honest about it. Yeah. They're not, uh, you know, they don't tell air traffic control what's going on because they're trying to cover it up or they're trying to hide it. They don't want to get in trouble. And then 
people die. So at the low fuel level indication point, the flight was about 180 miles from Medellin. Uh, According to the flight data recorder records, uh, at 2.15.47, so that would be like almost 9.16, a low level indication was shown. uh, And at 2.45, which is 9.45 p.m., uh, the aircraft reached the Gimli position. Gimli, not Gimli. (laughs) <laughs> Don't get it confused. Uh, giving a total flight of 29 minutes, 16 seconds, and a journey of 169 nautical miles from the indication of the low fuel level to Gemli. From the start of the holding pattern at Gemli, and this is just one of those navigational waypoints. Uh-huh. It's not like, it's nothing you can see. It's just built into um, like a GPS waypoint or uh, a, a navigation waypoint that they use. So from the start of the holding pattern at Gemli, Due to air traffic delays, until the beginning of the shutdown of the engines, it took 8 minutes and 42 seconds, and the plane traveled 44 nautical miles. So all told, you combine that all up, what is that? That's like uh, 38 minutes uh, total, and about mm, uh, 213 nautical miles from the time that the low fuel level uh, warning came on. And they know, right, that they have t- that the recommended 23 minutes, right? They, yes, they, they, know, they, they that. know that. Like we said, the captain has flown this plane quite a bit. And any pilot knows if you see your low fuel level come on, you run the checklist, and if it's still on, you need to land. That's, it's the fact that, you're like, well, let's hope this works. So from the Gemli position to the threshold of the runway uh, in Medellin, that was a distance of 16.3 nautical miles. That means if the crew had let air traffic control know of the precarious situation before arriving at Gemli, and if they had not performed the holding pattern and they had proceeded directly uh, on their approach, the remaining fuel would have been sufficient to cu- cover the necessary distance of 185.3 miles. So they went 213 and then they ran out of fuel. If they had gone directly straight in, it would have been 185. So they would have made it in barely. On the fumes, but still. Right. They would have landed. <clears throat> I, that's why I don't understand why they didn't just say something. I mean, I, I get it. Trying to cover it They're up. trying to cover it. Yeah. Trying to hide it. But like... It's like a little kid getting in trouble. And like they try to lie and hide and it's like, just come clean with it. Yeah. Given the alternatives and the development of the operation with the aggravation of continuing a flight with limited fuel, it's highly probable if there had not been a delay in Gemli, the aircraft could have reached the runway. However, it was evident the absence of criteria of the crew to continue the flight and accept a holding pattern without reporting... Uh, on time, the operational conditions of the low amount of fuel to air traffic control, which was found with an unforeseen delay to start the approach. So it's just, again, it's reinforcing. They had enough fuel, even though they should not have been doing this, they could have made it to the runway if they had just declared a fuel emergency or told air traffic control, we are almost, you know, we are almost out of fuel. We need to land. When starting the approach phase to the Rio Negro VOR, the crew requested to join Gemli and again, the crew omitted any communication of the critical fuel situation being experienced by the aircraft. The aircraft reached Gemli, made a holding pattern, and on the second approach at 2.49, so this would be 9.49 yep. p.m., reported, Lima Mike India 2933-210 on approach, request priority for the approach. We have a fuel problem. This is what we talked about mm-hmm. earlier. They are, they are underselling the severity of they what is have going no, on. Their engines... They are, are out, they, right? They are, the engines are about to go out. The number three and four engines are about to go out. Because, yeah, wait, you said, they said that at 249? Yeah, so it'd be 949. Yeah, so 949, and then they lose 
in, in, one engine at 9:53, the other one at 9:55. So, so yeah, they are they are four minutes away from starting to lose their engines, and they just say they they, they don't they still don't declare a fuel emergency. At that point, though, could they have done anything different? I mean, I mean, if they had, say, they declared a fuel emergency at that point, were they at this point not able to get there in time? They probably would have run out, but maybe they would have been able to immediately vector to the airport Mm -hmm. and have a little more altitude and clear the mountain. Yeah. Because, yeah, it seems like they just were close. If they got, I don't know, I mean, it depends on how big the mountain is and stuff and how far, but if it's like... Well, they they barely clipped it. So anything to save even seconds would have made a huge difference. Granted, they may still not have made it to the runway, but they would have cleared that mountain. Like I said, they, they had this request for priority for the approach, but it did not correspond to declaring minimum fuel status or mayday for fuel. Uh, at this moment, more than 13 minutes had passed since uh, air traffic control at Bogota had instructed them that they should proceed to a holding pattern on the Rio Negro VOR. So they didn't even, they just requested priority. They did not say minimum fuel status or no mayday. Emergency. This is yeah. This is an emergency. They should have declared a mayday. And... I'm just curious, and you may not know this because it may vary, but whenever they're told, hey, circle around, we got to let this one plane come through and then three other planes, like how long presumably would that take for the four planes to land? It's going to take a little while, Um, especially if they're in a holding pattern. I I don't, I can't give you a definitive answer, but I mean, they might be looking at 15, 20 minutes maybe, depending on how far they are, what's going on. Like this this is a a problem. when, when, When they said, hey, we got another plane, and then three other planes. It should have been that's God. I know it's frustrating. It's really, really frustrating. The air traffic control announced to Lamia twenty nine thirty three that it would provide vectors and communicated a seven minute estimate to begin the approach. So they they say the the flight says we request priority. Air traffic control acknowledges that and says they can expect to begin their approach in seven minutes. So even with a priority request, like it's still going to be a minimum of seven minutes to get you in. But they didn't, so they f- didn't declare an emergency. They still have not declared an emergency. So faced with this instruction, which denoted a considerable delay for the flight, under these conditions, the crew members contacted at 9.50 p.m. and said, I will be attentive for the Vectors Lima Mike India 2933, showing a passive condition on the part of the crew in such a critical situation. Like, uh, yeah, like, I'll be, it's like, okay, I'm waiting for those, I'll be waiting for those Vectors. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's like, you, you need to be more on, on the ball here. Just, yeah, let me know. Yeah, whatever is convenient for you. Uh, later, during the third holding pattern at Gemli, the crew finally reported their emergency condition. This is at 9.52. Yeah, it's when their first engine goes out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they say, we are in a fuel emergency. That's why I'm requesting final course. And this communication is not made according to what's expected in the regulations. What do you mean? So there are regulations for this kind of thing. Okay. Uh, the International Civil Aviation Organization. It's according to Annex 3... Numeral 4.3.7.2.3. The pilot in command shall declare a situation of fuel emergency by broadcasting mayday, 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 fuel when the calculated usable fuel predicted to be available upon landing at the nearest aerodrome where a safe landing can be made is less than the planned final reserve fuel. So it tells you specifically they, they should have said mayday, 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 fuel. But earlier they said they want priority. Then mm-hmm, mm-hmm. says we're in a fuel emergency. Even now they're still trying to like, like gloss over it, right? Right. Or, or maybe now they're panicking. They're panicking, but they didn't even just yeah. What did he say? What was the the final footage? thing he said? We are in a fuel emergency. That's why I'm requesting final course. Yeah. 
that see that didn't even it, it, that it, doesn't it doesn't adequately convey the situation. Granted, this is them escalating. Yeah, this is they finally they said, said emergency. emergency, right? And obviously, no time did they declare mayday. The situation could be directly related to the previously identified finding during proficiency checks made to the crew. So we're rewinding a little bit here <laughs> to their yeah their proficiency checks and you know the, w- what they go through when they get mm-hmm. certified in their recurring training. The pilot had observation in his proficiency check, and there's a quote, to improve coordination in the cockpit CRM and in clearly define the control of the aircraft and communications, who does what, take the necessary time to prepare the aircraft for an emergency. The co-pilot, in turn, uh, had the following observations made on his proficiency check. This is, this is them, like, their pilot test, like, when they're getting approved to fly. Yeah. Okay. And now this for the first officer. The conditions on approach must be more precise. Communication with air traffic control in emergencies must be specific. Pan, pan, or mayday, according to the case. Ah, it, so, is, <laughs> it is so on point for what they didn't do. This Exactly. All the observations given in the annual checks and proficiency tests were spotted in a timely manner. However, it's evident they were not improved, corrected, or supervised. All of this led uh, to a permissive behavior during the flight under critical fuel conditions, lack of communication that was not timely, and to not foresee the necessary time to prepare the aircraft for an emergency. So they were bad at some things, and those things just happened to be what they needed to do right now. Like Mm -hmm. dealing with crew resource management and dealing with communication in time of an emergency. But so those were things they were bad at, but they had passed. Right. right. It was was like, you need to improve on this. And obviously they didn't. Right. That's what it said, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's what it said. It was evident they were not improved. That's (laughs) that's the words in the report, Chris. (laughs) Within the operations analysis, taking into account the findings at the accident site and the recordings of the flight data recorder, it was determined the crew configured the aircraft prematurely with extended landing gear at 9.53 and 33 degrees of flaps at 9.54 before the engines shut off. This operational situation greatly affected aerodynamics and critically penalized the aircraft's gliding factor as there was an aerodynamic increase in drag, which contributed to an abrupt loss of altitude in the last leg of the flight. So... They deployed their landing gear and flaps early, much higher than normal, which caused more drag. And more... Why'd they do that? Because they knew they were about to lose their engines. And once they lose their engines, they lose their electrical power. Once they lose their electrical power, they can't drop it. Oh, my God. So... They... So... Okay, because I think we've talked about some landing gear that can deploy with, with like, Like a a gravity assist, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I assume that they have that on uh, that's normally a t- very typical backup system. I don't know the Avro RJ85 enough, well enough to say if they have that or not. I assume they do, but they might have been doing this specifically for their flaps. Uh, but you would think that maybe they would be like a rat. I don't I don't know enough about this plane to tell mm, you. The rat. It's been a while. Uh, it's been a been it's been a minute. But the downside of this is that since the, you know they extend these before they lose their electrical power, but it creates so much drag that that's kind of what causes them to descend faster than normal mm-hmm. if they hadn't deployed it they might have made it over the mountain oh. see like and, and again another thing that just adds up and makes the situation worse like if they had i think the investigation even went through and tried to recreate this without deploying the flaps and the gear and they clear the mountain oh my god uh but then they're left trying to land with no fuel no flaps no gear yeah, but that's better than hitting a mountain. That's true. That's true. That can't they can't even get rescued from for until, until the, the next, next day. Yeah. Even if they land hard on the runway without landing gear, that's 
at least they're on the runway. There's emergency personnel right yeah. there. Yeah. And it's a big open flat area. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Similarly, taking into account the evidence of the occupants surviving the accident, the corresponding calls were not made by the cabin crew to get the cabin ready before an imminent fuel starvation and emergency descent. So they never even told... They didn't even tell... The, they didn't tell anyone in the plane what was going on, if there was a problem. pilots. Yeah, the, the, so some of the survivors say that they were just sitting in the plane, then all of a sudden the lights went off. And they were like... And the, the, the engine shut down. And everyone in the cabin was like, what's going on? Oh my God. Then did they say something? No, because by then the electrical system's out. They, so they can't c- make an announcement. Could they be like, hey, b- buckle up. <laughs> right, nothing. Nothing. I know they can't even know. They don't even know that because somehow mysteriously the cockpit voice recorder wasn't working. Oh my God. And that kid's video game just shut off. No power. Well, he might have had batteries. Oh, uh, that's true. Yeah. Uh, it was a four and a half hour flight though. Uh. So I don't know. Switch. Yeah, you might be able to get that. Maybe. Yeah. So it was clear from the findings gathered during the investigation that the crew performed a flight with limited fuel and that noticing the operational situation did not declare the situation insufficient time to air traffic control. I feel bad, actually, for the air traffic controller because when this crash first happened, she got blamed for this. And uh, I've seen interviews with her where she said people were calling her cell phone and like yelling wow. at her and telling her it was her fault. But it's not. Yeah, as you can hear from this, it's clearly not. She had no idea. She yeah. Was, like, if they had declared an emergency, yeah, obviously she would have let them in right away. But in the interview, she's like, I've never had that happen before where a plane is holding, then they immediately say they, they have a fuel emergency and then run out of fuel. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you can't get mad at her for not responding because she didn't have anything to respond to. Right. And also, she wasn't told anything until they were at the point where they were out yeah, of fuel. Yeah, they were already, yeah. Yeah, what's she going to do? She can't give them more gas in the air? Yeah. Wow. And they, and because it was, I, it's a famous soccer team. Mm-hmm. Another evident noncompliance to the planned operational procedure was verified in the last three flights made to the Vero Vero Aerodrome. Vero Vero is the airport in Mm -hmm. Bolivia, Santa Cruz. On August 23rd, October 30th, and November 5th, 2016. As evidence, this this one's going to blow your mind, Chris. As evidence, the aircraft, uh, Lamia 2933, had planned SLCO as the destination aerodrome. However, in all these above-mentioned flights, the crew did not land in Cobija and continued their operation towards Vero Vero, which corresponded to the flight plans to the alternative aerodrome. So let me, let me explain this. So this crew, three times in the past, on August 23rd, October 30th, and November 5th, they had flown from Medellin to Santa Cruz, doing this exact same route in reverse. And with this, with this little bit skipping, of fuel. skipping. Not doing the refueling stop. So they would skip, they would do the flight plan Put in the, f- the refueling mm-hmm. and then skip it. Right. Then they would go straight to Bolivia. The, granted, this is backwards. Right now, the, plane, yeah, yeah. the flight we're talking about is Bolivia to Medellin. They'd done this three, three times going from Medellin to Bolivia, and they'd made it three times. So in their mind, they probably thought it was okay. Oh, my God. However, the problem is Medellin it's is flat. at a higher altitude. Oh. So they have to climb less to get to their cruising altitude. The airport in Bolivia was at a lower altitude, so they burned more fuel getting up to their cruising altitude and climbing. Oh. So they, were, they had less fuel than their... So they had done in one direction yeah, three yeah, times. Yeah. They thought, it's fine, we can do it. But they don't climb as high coming out of Medellin. So they burned more fuel this time, and then they had to hold on top of that. Mm-hmm. And I also wonder, and this may not matter, the 
uh, topography around the airport because this one had mountains around it. Yeah. I don't know. What, I don't know enough about the Santa Cruz airport to answer that. But like, but yeah. You know, like even if it was the same, like if there are mountains. Well, that, that kind of plays into it. Maybe yeah. it means higher. Higher, higher That's else, why yeah. they, they, they climb less. Uh, it's, like one, it's one of those weird things you don't think about. Like you think driving in a car, oh, I can drive from city A. Like I can drive from here to city B, no problem. But if you try to drive from city B back in this direction, oh, that's different. You know, that's yeah, gonna yeah. Be, that <laughs> yeah. takes more fuel. Because, you know, on a car, you're traveling in two dimensions. Mm -hmm. The plane, there's that third dimension you have to deal with, too. Well, even then, I mean, you're, you're, you're driving up towards the Rockies, and then you're oh, coming yeah. down the Rocky. Like, you're going to use less fuel, probably. That's true. Yeah, you probably coast down the mountain, yeah. as opposed to, like, having to give it gas the entire time going up. That's, that's really true. God, so the, they, these guys... It's a mess, Chris. It's a mess. I they did it three other... It, so, so it wasn't... It, not that this is acceptable. It's not even a thing where they were like, ah, it's these like, you know, big soccer team and it, like they're making bad decisions because of the moment. They just have a habit of making bad decisions. That's exactly it. During the course of the flight, arguments in the cockpit about fuel management were evident in the cockpit voice recorder recordings in relation to fuel optimization during the cruise phase. So before it was cut off. Right. They were arguing about it. Right. Like, oh, here's how we should fly to save fuel. Right. So at 11.34 GMT, so what is that? That's um, 7.34 local time, I believe. Located in the north of Bolivia, in the vicinity of the border, the crew assured that their stopover airport was a safeguard of refuel, which is why they had that refueling option at the beginning of the flight. So they're still, they're flying, they're still in Bolivia, and they're like, yeah, we don't really need to worry about stopping a refuel. That was just like a safeguard. We don't need to actually do that. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I can feel it, Chris. <laughs> Um, about an hour later, 107 miles before entering Colombian airspace, the crew members learned about the fuel insufficiency situation, commenting, this thing is screwed. Uh, there at this point, they thought about the possibility of going to Bo Bogota. Uh -huh. uh, and finally, the decision of the crew was to proceed to Bogota. They're like, let's go ahead and go to Bogota. But uh, after contacting air traffic control in Bogota, they were given instructions um, that were Lima Mike India 2933, Received your in radar contact, flight level 300. I confirm your route is authorized to proceed to Rio Negro via Aruxa, Pabon, waypoints. Uh -huh. uh, after this instruction from air traffic control, the pilot commented on the cockpit voice recorder, they're already directing us, brother. So they were... They were, they were rerouting. Right, they were about to go, decide to go to Bogota. Then they get instructions. And this new path telling them how to get to Medellin is very direct. So they think, oh... They're sending us directly to Bogota or directly to Medellin. We're fine. We don't have to worry anymore. So they were worried about getting like rerouted and stuff. They're like, oh, wait, we got it. Never mind. Yeah, they're sending us straight there. Don't worry about it. Mm. And then, then they had to, that, that plane with the fuel issue, an actual fuel issue. Mm -hmm. Right. Then it delays it. Yeah. Because mm. like we said, even if they had gotten there, they, 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 would have barely made it, but they had enough fuel to do it. Faced with an evident deficiency in the management of the fuel during the flight, with evident comments on the manner, the air traffic control instruction probably generated an excess of confidence in the crew, knowing the route would be shortened at some points. The situation was known in the recordings uh, when uh, they ask, uh, it's heard on someone asking the pilot, are you not going down to Bogota? To which the pilot replies, no. At 1.01 during the recordings, the calm and safety of the crew were more evident despite the situation when the pilot affirms, the good thing is to take the decisions calmly. We analyzed it. We already saw it. To which another pilot responds, 
We have already analyzed it. We have already seen it. So they're kind of like, yeah, we're fine. We looked at it. We thought about it. We came up with our plan of action. They're kind of like, yeah, but like, <laughs> it's still a bad plan. They're, they're, they're talking themselves they're like, into, yeah. like, we made a good decision. Yeah, we're like, good. Yeah, we thought about it, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah we're good. Yeah, this we're makes good. sense. We're yeah. good. It is evident that after listening to the communication the crew members had with air traffic control, the crew did not use a standard phraseology in the procedures that are used to declare minimum fuel status or the one of mayday, mayday, mayday. Due to an emergency, the priority request was used by the crew at 2.49 uh, and at 2.56 declaring fuel emergency. So they requested priority and then seven minutes later said they had a fuel emergency. And that's when mm. they start losing their engines. Um, so it's, it, it's so far, everything's, it's complicated, but it's cut and dry. Yeah. <laughs> this is one of the longest scripts we've ever done. Uh, I'd say normally these scripts that we read off of are about 10 pages long. We've been recording for about just under an hour. We're at page nine. <laughs> and there's 16 pages oh, in this script. Oh, no. <laughs> We're gonna, but, hey, but, if you're listening, it's, I bet these next seven are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so from here on out, and, and I'm just saying that because from here on out, this is all conclusions. Like that's how many conclusions there are. So it's, that's how many mess ups they had right. that were like should have done this, should have done this, should have done that, should have that. We have seven and pages w- of conclusions. That's almost a normal script by itself. I want to know about the guy who said it was okay and let them fly. And I want to know, I, I want to know if there were like criminal stuff at the end. Oh, we're, you're, 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 you're jumping ahead, Chris. We're going to get to all that. I'm teasing. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the pilot in command's language proficiency certificate had expired. Necessary requirement for an international flight that would fly over a state whose language was different than the Spanish language, and the co-pilot did not have a language proficiency certificate in his license. So remember, this is very international. These are Bolivian pilots who speak Spanish going to Colombia where they speak Spanish, but they're carrying a Brazilian passengers who speak Portuguese. And since they're flying this, they, they, they should have had uh, language proficiency certificates um, on their license, but they didn't. Okay. But it probably doesn't matter. They spoke Spanish and they were going to a yeah. Spanish-speaking country. It's probably okay, but uh, it's just a footnote on here. Yeah. One of, this is, out of everything in this episode, that's the most minor. <laughs> if I could pick one and be like, that one probably didn't contribute, it was that one. Uh, the pilot in command in his last checkup proficiency had been made uh, the observation, improved coordination in the cockpit, CRM, and clearly defined control of the aircraft for communication, uh, and take the time necessary to prepare the airplane in emergency. Uh, the, air, the co-pilot, in turn, had been made in his language proficiency check. The following observations. Approach configurations must be more accurate. Communication with ATC in emergencies must be precise according to the case. Kind of what we talked about before. Mm-hmm, they were not mm-hmm. great at communication. The aircraft complied with the inspection program ordered by the manufacturer. There were no systems failures or systems malfunctions before the flight. Uh, in view of the lack of records during the part of the flight and the state of the components after the accident, it was not possible to determine or rule out the occurrence of possible faults during the flight. So that's, they're, they're saying essentially that the plane passed inspection was fine, but there's some ambiguity because of the cockpit voice recorder not working. Oh. Mm. So they're saying there's possible faults, but. Come on. You know, these, report, these reports <laughs> want to be very factual. They yeah, want to yeah, make sure yeah. everything's 100% correct. So they cannot definitively say that. After the accident, it was not possible to carry out an inspection of the fuel system due to the state of the destruction in which it was left. Uh, and although, according to available evidence, it is presumed there was no malfunctioning of this. So let's just say the fuel system was destroyed in the crash, but 
it doesn't look like it malfunctioned. Yeah. They also noticed during the crash, there's no fuel. <laughs> there's no, <laughs> I mean, it, it sounds obvious to say, but there was no, there was no post-crash fire. Yeah. Because there's, there's no fuel. No fuel. <laughs> like, it's pretty evident at that point to say like, yeah. well, the fuel system couldn't have malfunctioned because they went through all their fuel. <laughs> The financial condition of the aircraft operator was deficient as a consequence of the lack of regularity of the flights and evident in the lack of complete organization and delayed payments to his employees. Oh. So the airline was in financial trouble. It was kind of behind in paying employees, which is also part of the reason they didn't want to put extra fuel in. They couldn't pay for it, and they didn't want to spend more money to to burn more money. Yeah. And to make matters worse, I don't think this was in the official report, uh, maybe it was, to make matters even more complicated, the pilot was also a part owner of the airline, or the captain, I should say. So he, he, he was, was thinking in terms of the bottom line of the, the bottom airline. line, not just like, here's what I need to do to perform my duties as a, right. as a captain right. or a pilot. Which is a conflict of interest, I think, in this case. In this case, yeah. Yeah, because I mean, he's, he's putting, he's trying to put profits and money over the safety. Yeah. When he's responsible, kind of, he has his hand in both. Hey, uh, it's, it's tales old as time. <laughs> you are not kidding, man. <laughs> uh, the organization of the aircraft operator as to operational safety was deficient without a clearly implemented operational safety management system, without risk management, and without tools that would allow adequate decision-making to maintain an adequate balance between productivity and safety. So just more lack of organization at this airline. The aircraft operator did not comply with the fuel policies established in the operations manual in relation to the minimum quantities to be procured for international flights. In August, October, and November 2016, aircraft CP-2933 made three flights from Rio Negro to Viru Viru. In these operations, according to the flight plan, the destination aerodrome corresponded to Cobija. However, the crew continued the flight to Viru Viru that corresponded to the alternate aerodrome. When the crew decided to continue the flight to the alternate airport, it's likely they were not complying with the minimum fuel required. That's just kind of reviewing what we talked yeah. about. They'd done the flight three times in the opposite direction and skipped their fueling stop. The General Directorate of Civil Aviation, DGAC of Bolivia, had a monitoring plan for aircraft operators planned and implemented. However, no inspection records were found in the area of operations by the DGAC of Bolivia to the aircraft operator. So they, there was a plan to monitor aircraft operators. However, they couldn't find any records. <laughs> like of that uh of that company right they just didn't keep records or or they didn't do it or they got rid of them maybe we're gonna we'll, we'll get into that a little more too <laughs> in compliance with regulations brazil twice denied authorization for cp 2933 charter flight as a foreign operator to proceed from brazilian territory to a third country the operator then planned the start of the flight from the city of santa cruz bolivia and arrangements were made for the transportation of the passengers in another airline from Sao Paulo to Santa Cruz. The aircraft operator planned the direct flight from Santa Cruz to Rio Negro without stopovers and without complying with the requirements of minimum amount of fuel to carry out an international flight, since it did not take into account the fuel required to fly to an alternate airport, contingency fuel, reserve fuel, nor the minimum landing fuel. So again, just they did not pay attention to the law when it came to how much fuel they needed. When the aircraft operator submitted the flight plan from Santa Cruz to Rio Negro, apparently the uh, ARO AIS office noted an inconsistency since the estimated time in route was similar to the endurance time. 
This observation was not considered by the aircraft operator and the flight plan was accepted uh, at 8.30 p.m. So this is what we talked about earlier too. The mm-hmm. flight plan gets submitted and they're like, wait a minute, <laughs> these numbers are almost the same. <laughs> you can't do that. The aircraft was supplied with 1,636 kilograms of fuel in Santa Cruz for a total fuel on board of 9,073 kilograms. That amount was insufficient to complete the flight between Santa Cruz and Rio Negro since the minimum amount should be 12,052 kilograms above the aircraft's fuel capacity. So the plane could not even hold enough fuel to do this flight legally. And that's why they're supposed to refuel. Right. But then they They, had to get the video game from the cargo hold. (laughs) The airport they were going to fuel out was going to close. They probably didn't want to do it anyway. They didn't. They could have stopped anywhere else. It's not like that's the only airport they could have stopped at. The cockpit voice recording ended early when the aircraft was about 550 nautical miles from Rio Negro, about an hour and 40 minutes before the accident. It was not possible to determine the reasons why this recording was interrupted. That's the big question mark here. But we have our theories. We have our mm-hmm. working theories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the crew did not call air traffic control on the critical fuel condition. We can't stress that one enough. Yeah. That was, it, it, they just didn't want to get in trouble. Meanwhile, air traffic control was serving an aircraft that had reported and solved an indication of fuel leakage and that decided to proceed to land at Rio Negro. This situation delayed approach to four aircraft that were coming to Rio Negro, including CP-2933, whose fuel situation was unknown. And those are the planes we talked about that were lined up Mm -hmm. before them in holding pattern. When CP-2933 aircraft contacted Medellin approach control and was 68 miles from the Rio Negro VOR, air traffic control instructed it to proceed to hold and to perform a holding pattern on this navigational aid without providing it an approximate approach time. That's real nitpicky. Normally, when an aircraft is put in a hold, uh-huh. they'll tell them, like, expect further clearance at blah, 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 or expect further okay, clearance Yeah, in and so that's what minutes. I was asking when I was like, oh, how long? But, but yeah, lots of times they'll tell them. But sometimes they, they didn't tell them this time. But I mean, that's, I wouldn't say that's really a contributing factor. Yeah, because they shouldn't matter. Yeah. And, and to, I mean, to, right, they normally, should have enough fuel, right? And it, should, it shouldn't be an issue. Uh, The crew did not call air traffic control on the critical fuel condition. When the aircraft was within 24 minutes of the Rio Negro VOR, the crew requested air traffic control to perform holding pattern at Gemli without alerting air traffic control about the critical fuel condition. The aircraft made one holding pattern at Gemli before starting the second circuit, requested priority to approach due to fuel problems. Uh, Air traffic control announced it would provide vectors to the localizer and the approach would begin in seven minutes. The crew members accepted the instructions and did not declare an emergency due to fuel problems. One minute and 11 seconds after receiving the first request from CP-2933 flight regarding priority due to a fuel problem, air traffic control cleared to approach another aircraft that was in the holding pattern. So, still going through the, the process. Okay, wait. So, so the air traffic control, they, they requested priority and air traffic control was letting... Another plane. Another one, like, finish. Right. This is a minute and 11 seconds after they requested priority. Okay. But they didn't really... But again, they requested priority versus... Declaring an emergency. It might also have been an issue... I don't know the specifics of the layout. Mm -hmm. It might also have been an issue where this other plane was on the part of the hold where they were lined up, like, flying towards the airport. And maybe CP-2933 was on the other side, flying away from the airport. So air traffic control thinks, well, I'll let them in. Then when CP-2933 yeah, makes yeah. the turn, I'll let them in behind them. Maybe. That's speculation on my part. It's like, yeah, they're already like pulling into the driveway. Right. <laughs> or it's like, yeah, they're, they're going the correct direction down the street. That other one's going to have to make a U-turn. 
During the second holding pattern at Gimli, three minutes and 15 seconds after the priority request, the crew of CP-2933 declared the emergency without the use of standard phraseology. CP-2933 immediately veered to the left towards the Gimli approach section and abandoned flight level 210. Air traffic control told other aircraft to abandon the holding pattern to the west and cancel approach clearance that had been granted. So, you know, when they declared this emergency finally, Mm -hmm. they stopped listening to air traffic control. They turned straight for the airport and air traffic control had to move other planes out of the way until the other plane that was cleared to land, like cancel their landing clearance because now this other plane's operating in a way that she hasn't told them to. So she has to move everyone else out of the way. When starting the descent, CP-2933 extended aerodynamic brakes. Then at an altitude of 20,500 feet, the landing gear was extended. And at approximately 18,000 feet, the flaps were deployed up to 24 degrees. And like we talked about, they know that their engines are going out. So they're doing this early to try to do it while they still have electrical power. Air traffic control cleared CP-2933 to approach, warned crew members about wet runway, and asked if they needed any service. She also warned crew members about other aircraft that were ahead and below them. Mm. Did they respond? Did they say anything? I don't think they responded at that point. CP-2933's engines began to give indications of failure. At an altitude of 19,600 feet, engine number three shut down. At 18,876 feet, engine four shut down. Then at 17,946 feet, that's when they fully extend their flaps. Uh, At 17,290 feet, engine two shuts down. Then at 15,942 feet, engine one shuts down. And seven seconds after the last engine shut down, the flight data recorder stopped recording. And obviously their, their electrical systems have gone down. But didn't they already pull it? Oh, this was the flight data recorder, oh, not the oh, cockpit sorry, voice sorry. recorder. Yeah. At this point, the aircraft was 15.5 nautical miles from the threshold of runway 01 of Rio Negro Airport, 5.5 miles from the accident site, with an airspeed of 115 knots and a ground speed of 142 knots at an altitude of 15,934 feet. The FDR flight data recorder worked properly, recorded a total of 53 hours, 57 minutes, and 12 seconds of data until the aircraft power went down. Subsequently, the crew members reported total electrical failure without fuel and began to repeatedly request vectors. So they're, they're asking for directions, like wh- which direction to turn to because, get to the airport. Because they can't. Wow. The air traffic control informed uh, CP-2933 that it had lost them from radar, and CP-2933 reported it was on a 360 heading. Air traffic control instructed the flight to turn uh, to a 010 heading and then to a 350 heading. They, they lost them from radar because... They, it's, it, it's possible that either they were low or their transponder stopped mm. uh, as part of the electrical failure or maybe a combination of both. I don't know what kind of radar they yeah. have at that airport, but it's, it, it's most likely actually the transponder losing electrical power. Upon air traffic control's warning to CP-2933 that it did not have its altitude, it responded with 9,000 feet and made a final request for vectors. Air traffic control informed crew members it was 8.2 miles from the runway and no more calls were received from the flight or uh, at that point. Aircraft CP-2933 hit the southern slope of a mountainous terrain just below the ridge of a mountain with an approximately 310 degrees heading. Subsequent to this impact, a trajectory of energy dissipation was generated from the initial point of impact with a 296 degree heading, which continued 140 meters downhill on the north slope of the hill until the lower part where most of the aircraft debris were found at a site located at 8,240 feet. Like you said, they, they clipped almost it. cleared it. They, they clipped yeah. it, and then, yeah, because most of the plane was on the other side. Right, right, on the yeah. far side yeah. from where they were coming. Yeah, 
Uh, as a result of the accident, the aircraft was destroyed. 71 people died, and there were six survivors. The six survivors? Either than the, the pilots? No, no. Hmm. None of, uh, I don't think any of the crew survived. I, if I remember right, they did not. And I don't blame the kid who got his video game. He didn't know. It's not his fault. <laughs> it really isn't. No. You, you, <laughs> they, they, I mean, they're like, oh, oh, they didn't have the time to stop the other, but they weren't going to stop anyway. Or like you said, or they could have stopped the, other places. Right. That, it's inexcusable. Yeah. If they'd survived, you think it'd been like arrests, like criminal negligence or, or I think so. manslaughter or something? Especially because the captain was partial owner in the airline. Mm-hmm. Um, and we haven't even gotten to the juicy part yet. <laughs> there's juicy. There's, there's, there's some juicier parts coming up here. So those were all the conclusions. There's now yeah. we have some contributing factors we're going to get to. So okay. these are like things that didn't directly, maybe they didn't directly cause it, but mm-hmm. these are things that lead to it. Um, so premature configuration of the aircraft for landing during descent and holding pattern at Gimli. Mm-hmm. Since uh, considering the absence of thrust, this configuration affected the plane's glide distance to the airport runway. So again, yep. saying this increased their drag and caused them to descend more. Latent deficiencies in the planning and execution of non-regular transportation flights by the aircraft operator related to insufficient supply of the required amount of fuel. Specific deficiencies in the planning of the flight involved in the accident by aircraft operator. Lack of oversight and operational control of the flight by the operator. It did not supervise the planning of the flight, nor its uh, execution, nor make a follow-up of the flight that would have allowed to support the crew in making decisions. Absence of timely calls for priority or declaring an emergency or others by uh, aircraft crew members during the flight, especially when fuel depletion was imminent in the descent phase uh, and when performing holding pattern, which would have alerted air traffic services to provide the necessary support. Organizational and operational noncompliance by the aircraft operator in the implementation of fuel management procedures as it did not comply with the practices with the approval of the Bolivian DJAC in the process of the company certification. Delaying the approach of CP-2933 to the Rio Negro runway caused by its late priority request and late emergency declaration for fuel added to heavy traffic at at the Rio Negro VOR when on the holding pattern. Mm -hmm. So, a week after the crash, Bolivian police detained the general director of La Mia on various charges, including involuntary manslaughter. Oh, the guy that said, go ahead and fly? Well, the general director of La Mia. So, the person in charge of the airline. Oh, oh, in charge of the airline, yes. not, not the person who okayed the flight. Correct. Okay. However, his son, who worked for the DJAC, remember them? I talked about them, Bolivia's National Aviation Authority, uh-huh. was also detained for using his influence to have the aircraft given an operational clearance. Remember, it was denied, denied, and then finally... That was his son? His son was in charge of that organization. Or he was in charge. His son worked at that organization. So, the owner of... The, the airplane company. Right. He was arrested for, because of, he set all this up. Right. And like, and then he, so, so the guy's son pushed them to say, let's just let him go. It's my dad. Right. Well, again, I don't know that that's how it happened, yeah, yeah. but allegedly he used his influence to have the aircraft cleared. Wow. A prosecutor involved with the case told reporters that the prosecution has collected statements and evidence showing that participation of the accused in the crimes of misusing influence conduct incompatible with public office, and a breach of duties. An arrest warrant was issued for the employee of Asana in Santa Cruz who had refused to approve Flight 2933's flight plan, and it was later approved by another official. Wait, 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 wait. The one who refused to approve it? Right. Uh, An arrest was sent for him? 
Uh, it was a woman, but yeah. Uh, or for her? Yes. I, I don't know why they specifically went after her. It could be that just they were going to arrest her and see what they could, if they could charge her with anything. Or, or even just to get information. Right. Uh, she fled the country. Oh, my Seeking goodness. political asylum in Brazil. Oh, my goodness. But she didn't, she didn't do anything. She, was, she did what she was supposed to. Right. And she claimed that after the crash, she had been pressured by her superiors to alter reports she had <gasps> made before the aircraft took off. And she feared Bolivia would not give her a fair trial. Oh, my God. This was a complicated one. Uh, like, not only from the airline perspective, but from, like, federal aviation agencies' perspectives as well. Holy moly. That is crazy. I feel terrible for her. Because she was saying, no, you can't do this. No, you can't do this. And then... Someone her- else rubber-stamped it. So she thought they were trying to put the blame on her. Yeah, probably, understandably. I wonder if whenever they were initially, she was getting pressured to change her reports. I wonder if initially when they were like checking up on it, they gave a false report about what happened. It could be. I don't know. Yeah, she had, she had seen the plane's flight plan before it took off and warned that it barely had enough fuel to reach the destination in Colombia. And that, yeah, she said that she was pressured into changing a flight report she made at the time and then fled the country to Brazil. I don't know what happened to her. I don't see any follow-up on that. I guess maybe she was pressured, but she still signed off on it. Maybe. I, I wish I had more information about that. That's really frustrating. So, so they, re- okay, do, they arrested the owner of the company for manslaughter? Yes. And the son, His son. who worked at the regulatory... Mm-hmm, at the DJAC. What happened to them? This, this was only in 2016, uh-huh. so it might still be an ongoing case the latest updates i could see is just that they were jailed uh-huh uh and that you know the, the charges were going forward but i have not really seen an update since late 2016 it's also sometimes it's hard to get updates on these things uh here in the united states because mm-hmm. you know you might see a headline about it and then there's no follow-up yeah, you know, yeah. it's a bigger news story in those countries and, um and then again that like Cases take a long time, and then sometimes they like settle and blah, 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 and it's not exactly news, big news at that point. Right. So that's the latest update I can find uh, about that stuff. Oh, hold on one second. I may have found something. No, no, no. No, so I don't really have any, any further information on those criminal charges, unfortunately. But they were, those are pretty serious charges, right? I mean, that's some serious jail time probably, huh? Yeah. In fact, I believe that the um, the general director of Lamia uh-huh. was jailed un- until the trial was over. Like it's not like a release on bond kind of thing. Oh. I think he was taken to jail and kept in custody through the trial. Uh, but I don't know where we're at with that. I mean, he had access to planes. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but yeah, that's it for this episode. Uh, a, a longer one, but it's 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 weird because it's a longer one. But it's straightforward. Yeah, a very very simple, straightforward cause. But laying all the groundwork and explaining, like, how do you get to that point? Yeah, and it's like, oh, it's straightforward. But you know, like a lot of episodes are, oh, there's this one crazy thing and and there's another crazy thing and then another crazy thing and they all compounded in this perfect, horrible way. This was just like dumb decision after dumb decision over and over and over again. And they all compounded in, in, yeah. Super frustrating. In the end, uh, you know, like I said, this was a, a soccer team going to play in the finals mm-hmm. of this uh, tournament. Uh, in the end, the the team they were playing against uh, acquiesced and uh, let um, the Brazilian team 
Chapecones. They let them let them take, take the title. It? Right. Oh, so that's, that's Chapecones is the official winner of uh, that tournament. That's that's I guess that's noble. that's good sportsmanship. Noble of them. Yeah. Yeah. The I'm curious. I mean, and this is like a whole other, probably other podcast. But if the owner was arrested for all that, I bet you they have. There's a lot to dig down into the way they manage the airline because. If there's just this one flight that we're talking about and the way it was in, in these these pilots, I bet you they have just a terrible record. Yeah, I'm sure they do. They uh, and by this point they were in serious financial straits. I think this was the only plane that they were able to keep operational. I think they had a couple of others, but they were really like the airline was on the verge of collapsing already by the time wow. that this happened. But yeah, so I'm 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 curious to know what do they dig up in the history yeah. of this airline? I don't know. Uh, but yeah, that's it for this episode of Black Box Down. Um, really, God, really a lot to dig into in this one. Hopefully you enjoyed it. I thought this was one of know, yeah. the most interesting ones I think that it we is. covered. I don't know how long this was, but it was good. It's coming, yeah, almost, almost an hour and a half, not quite. Uh, but yeah, that's it. Give us a follow on social media at Black Box Down Pod. Um, and we'll be back next week with another episode. Thank you. Please tell your friends and family and uh, one weird uncle or aunt. Okay. <laughs> well, just, you know, just, 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 just they, they, they might like podcasts too. Yeah. All right. Bye.